0: is James chapter 1. We'll be getting a, a multi-week series on the book of James. should carry us probably 10 weeks, I'm guessing. James 1 verses 1 through 8. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. If you'd like a, a, a paper copy of that, something you want to hold on to, we have several of those on the green table back there too. Hear the word of the Lord for us this morning. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the 12 tribes in the dispersion, Greetings. Count all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without a reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray as we come to the Lord and his word. Lord, teach us this morning. Teach us from this book that uh, mystifies some and, and others love. Lord, show us Christ and him crucified. Lord, show us your grace and mercy. Lord, show us your wisdom. And we ask for your wisdom now as we contemplate your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. James mangles the scriptures and thereby opposes Paul in all scripture. That's what Martin Luther said about the book of James. Luther, not a fan of, of the book of James. He actually called it, another place, an epistle of straw. And what he meant by that was that uh, referring to 1 Corinthians chapter three, is that he, he actually believed that the book of James was so uh, was so um, misguided that it really wasn't worth even the straw that it was that he would he would say it was built on. Now Luther had some other problems with this theology. He actually considered James uh, he considered the book of the Bible, but he considered it a second tier, new testament book. He actually had a first tier of new testament books and a second tier. Uh, Luther would not have passed the PCA. Uh, Coordination exam, I'll put it that way. Um, all the New Testament books are all they're all canonical. They don't, there's not like an A and a B. Um, but you're probably like Luther in some ways. I know I am, in that James intimidates me. This is a hard book. It's not something that you go to oftentimes for comfort. Uh, it's not comfort food. Uh, it's tough stuff. Uh, it's, and particularly, it's hard to preach on James because. It's, it seems it's it's I'm, uh, pastors like me are, are, are afraid how, how to how to harmonize James with Paul. They're just very very different men with different emphases. And so what's been helpful to me this week is are a couple of things. I hope they're helpful to you. Um, several times, a couple of different commentators I've read this week talk about James as wisdom literature in the New Testament. When we think of wisdom literature, we often th- you should be thinking of the, of the books that are kind of the middle of the Old Testament. Psalms are the best example, but they almost stand alone. But Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, those are all considered wisdom literature. Kind of uh, things that are written for, uh, for practical uh, guidance, particularly Proverbs is probably the best example of that. A lot of pithy uh, couplets, a lot of quick, quick uh, sayings. James is the, kind of the closest thing we have to that in the, in the New Testament. Uh, again, he kind of has a, a, a style all his own. I mean, you can even see in what I read this morning. You know, the, the, uh, the introduction is very brief and very, very uh, uh, sparse. He says, I'm James. I'm writing to basically all the Jews that are scattered. Greetings. Paul would have said to this and that and this and that. He would have gone on for several verses usually. And in fact, if you look at the very end of of, of the the book of James, uh, you will see that it just stops. It's almost like he just kind of gets tired and he just quits. uh, Chapter 5, verse 20. Um, He talks about uh, 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 let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover multitude of sins. There's no kind of ending with a doxology or a benediction or anything like that. He's very much... uh, Kind of Fox News, right? Quick and to the point. Um, and there are not many difficult concepts or words. That's the nice thing about James. There's not a lot of big words you have to look up. There's certainly not a lot of hard words. Not a lot of. Uh, there aren't any, in fact. There are no names I have to, to kind of practice uh, before getting into the pulpit. Um, and if Paul's letters celebrate just, justification by faith alone, they almost all do. James focuses not on justification. But he focused on sanctification, right? The two aspects of salvation. We're justified by faith alone and Christ alone. We, we depend on his works. But we're sanctified, right? As we, as we live our lives, we become more and more like Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so really, James is a book about sanctification. He assumes justification and moves on to sanctification. What does obeying the Lord Jesus look like? That's what... Really, James kind of answers the question. So this morning, we're going to look at the first eight verses. We're going to look at introducing James in, in verse 1. We're going to look at meeting trials, verses 2 through 4. And then we're going to look at seeking wisdom, verses 5 through 8. Okay? First, introducing James. First of all, which James are we talking about? Right? There are a lot of James in the, in the uh, New Testament. Uh, I, I can relate to this in, in, my, in my family. My dad's name was James my brother's name is James. He has a son named James, my nephew. And then my mom's twin brother, my uncle, was named James. And of course, he named his son, James. So for a while at family reunions, you know, if you, if you weren't sure what to say, you would just call someone James. Uh, and, and, and you would probably be right. In the New Testament, similar, which James? Because there's James, the son of Zebedee, right? One of the sons of thunder right? He was martyred, though, in Acts chapter 12 by Herod Agrippa. Then there was a second disciple called James, the son of Alphaeus. We don't know a whole lot about him, except that he's not the son of Zebedee, and he's not James, the writer of this letter. James, the one that we're talking about this morning, is the half-brother of Jesus. He was Jesus' younger brother. He did not receive his, his elder brother, though, as Messiah right away, we talked about this last last week about the idea that Jesus was a real person, right? He, we talked about this from the end of from uh, Luke chapter two, that he really grew up in a family, and, and I'm, I'm sure James and he uh, sh- share, shared probably some, some bedding together. They, as uh, one uh, sermonator put it, one preacher that uh, uh, they they certainly uh, shared a bathroom. Okay, um, they were close. But, but uh, as you may remember from John chapter 7 to Mark chapter 3, James' family, or, or Jesus' family, did not receive him, right? They, they said, in, for, in fact, in Mark chapter 3, that Jesus was out of his mind. He was out of his mind. Uh, they did not receive him. But the good news for this James is that the resurrected Jesus appeared to him. Specifically, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, that great sweeping passage about the resurrection, one of the things that's talked about is that uh, Christ appeared to James specifically, and so James winds up becoming a key leader in the early church. He's specifically the, the Church in Jerusalem, right Paul visits him in Acts chapter 21, and this James, who spoke up at the first presbytery meeting, at least that's what I called the Council of Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 15, he's the one that suggested about how to handle the Gentiles who were coming to faith in Jesus, right? They were confused about how to handle them. Should they, uh, should they be, have to do all the Jewish uh, customs? And, and James said, no, just, just these certain things. Um, and so James here describes himself as a servant. You notice that it says in verse one, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ shows that after all, he was convinced, at least at this point, his brother was God incarnate, right? He knows of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's really saying those things are equal. And he's writing, uh, writing to, to all the Jews that are scattered, scattered from Jerusalem due to persecution. Again, it's a, it's a very pithy introduction. It's not at all like Paul's writings. Um, it's a very general uh, book written to Jewish Christians of the time. And so just keep that in mind as we are, many of us are probably Gentile Christians, we're kind of listening 2,000 years later, uh, overhearing what God, how God is speaking to this group. So that's James in verse 1. And then meeting trials in verses 2 through 4. Notice he starts by saying, count it all joy, my brothers. And that term means brothers and sisters. When you meet trials of various kinds... By the trials, meaning tribulations, sufferings, difficulties, not, not trials like a court. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James says about trials that they're going to come. They're unavoidable. What's funny is most of us spend our lives trying to avoid trials, Right? And again, also notice it's not saying the opposite. Um, we, we, We should expect trials. We shouldn't go out finding them either. We're not masochistic, okay? Jesus never promised Christians an easy life. Far from it. He warned his disciples that they'd be persecuted because he was persecuted, right? The end of John chapter 16, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, Christ said, I have overcome the world. Trials will come in different shapes and sizes and durations. I was just a listing some things off the top of my head physical pain, debilitating illness, loss of loved ones, loneliness, financial stress the list goes on and on looking for a job um, uh, you know your 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 the health of your parents is failing uh, your children are not everything you wish they were you wish wish that uh, wish that you uh, uh, that, you, that you would see in them. Uh, your parents and grandparents aren't, aren't everything that you wish they would be either. And we're supposed to count them joy, he says. Count all joy when you meet these trials. What does he mean? I think for, for many of us, we read this and we think, we're supposed to just keep a stiff upper lip? Kind of the British way of looking at things, right? Kind of keep, keeping that stiff upper lip, pretending as if these trials aren't really happening. Um... You know, I, 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 I have often talked about my, my hate for, for vegetables from this pulpit. I have to admit that sometimes, uh, and Carrie does a great job making them. It's not her fault. Just, they're, just, they're, just, they're, they're not going to be vegetables in heaven. I'm just breaking it to you now, uh, as far as I know. Sometimes when I see the vegetables on my plate, I just pretend that they're pizza. And as I eat them quickly, and don't think about them too often, I just think, I just had some pizza. So I think sometimes we look at trials that way. We just pretend like this isn't really happening. But that's not what he's saying. We have to meet them and see them for what they really are. Uh, trials test our faith. That's what James that that phrasing in verse 3. Our faith is like, is like a muscle. If you want to become more muscular, if you want to become stronger, many of you probably have a New Year's resolution to be more fit this year, to, uh, to get out more often. Uh, it's already day seven of the new year. How you doing? Um, but like, like exercise, our muscles must be stressed and stretched if you want them to grow or, or stay strong, right? Some of you, I've, I've talked with a few of you who, uh, who who've recently, someone here in the front row has had surgery recently and, and talked about physical therapy. And Physical therapists are, are really good at knowing just how far they can push you uh, before you break. And they never quite get to that breaking point. I was talking with another, a pastor friend of mine who also had a knee replacement recently in November. And uh, he, was, he was told, your physical therapists are going to push you so hard you might even cuss at them. And uh, he said, I came really close to uh, this, this first one, but didn't, didn't quite produce it. But that's, that's the idea, that you have to push your muscles. You have to push them. Whether it's weight training, whether it's biking, whether it's running, whatever it is. No one got stronger sitting around watching the television. The same thing is with our faith. God continues to push us out of our comfort zones to see that our faith is tested. And so steadfastness is produced, right? The idea of spiritual maturity, as James says in verse four, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I think that's the goal. I don't think any of us can ever say, you know what, this year I think I'm perfect. I've arrived. I'm complete, lacking in nothing. I think as soon as you say that, a trial is going to be coming the next day, (laughs) right? Uh, Probably to keep us humble. But that's the goal of spiritual maturity. To become more and more like Christ. The the idea of sanctification, as we talked about. I think one of the commentators I I was reading, it was actually Sam Alberry. Talked about how this idea of spiritual maturity is the greatest thing we can have in the world. I wonder how many of us really believe that. Uh, so that's so that's so that's what what James says about trials in verses two, three, and four. Now, the worldly perspective, of course, that trials are to be endured, and then to be avoided. But the Christian's perspective is that trials are to be considered opportunities to grow in faith. Right? If Romans 8.28 is true, Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, right? A, A verse you just hang your life on, right? If that's true, then God never wastes a moment of pain. He never wastes a sleepless night. He never even wastes a single tear. Our perspective needs to be, what is God teaching me through this trial? How is he stretching my faith in Jesus? And the reason why we can count it all joy is that God is involved in our lives, that God cares about us, that he loves us. And that he, he loves us enough that he saves us, but he loves us so that He doesn't so that He doesn't leave us alone. What is God teaching me in the midst of this situation? And how is He stretching my faith in Jesus? Keep that in mind as you go through your trials. And then we're to seek wisdom, verses five through eight. James writes, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So the good news is God does not just say, here's a trial. Let me know how it goes. I'll check back with you in a few weeks. He never allows us to be tried alone. He is there with us through his spirit. It's not a time for us to prove to him that we can handle this trial all by ourselves. I've had to learn as my Parkinson's has gotten more and more uh, developed, I've had to learn how to ask for more and more help. And that's really hard for me because I don't want to be a burden to my family and to those around me. Um, but I've also learned that I can, I can take 30 minutes to do a task or I can ask someone who can do it for me in 15 seconds. I'm sure maybe some of you understand what that's like. It's the same way with God. When trial comes, he, he sends that trial almost as if he's asking us. To, he wants us to ask him for help so James follows up his count all joy with any of you lack wisdom ask God and by the way what is wisdom anyway it's not knowledge right I think almost all of us know one or two people if not more who kind of have the um, absent-minded professor syndrome right someone that is really good in their field and knows everything but can hardly tie their shoes right you know what I'm saying So that's not wisdom. In fact, I would say wisdom is almost gained more by by just living life. Uh, The older older you are, the more often the, the wiser you are. Wisdom can be defined as skillful living. Or if you like a longer version of that, practical application of truth in everyday living. It is dirt under the fingernails kind of stuff. It's knowing how to change a tire right? It's, 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 it's how to handle certain situations with tact and grace. Wisdom is, is stuff that we can, we can really sink our teeth into. And so that's what, and the wisdom here is the wisdom to be able to see trials as part of our Christian living. So James talks to us and says, if you lack wisdom, let, him ask it, let, 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 let us ask God. And then he reminds us of God's character Notice it says he is generous. He gives generously. He's not tight-fisted. God is not going to say, I'm going to give you just a little dash of wisdom. See if you can handle it. If you get a dash, I'll give you a, maybe I'll give you a little teaspoon after that. No, he gives wisdom, it says, to all. He's generous. And he doesn't just give it to, to, just to the elite believers, as if there were some sort of, 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 some sort of a group uh, of Christians that, that deserve wisdom and some that don't, he gives it to anyone who asks. Notice he also gives it without reproach. I mean, he doesn't judge us or find fault with us as he answers our plea for wisdom. Boy, as a parent, that really stings me. I can tell you how many times I have told my sons, well, I'm going to help you, but you know what, next time, you really, you really need to be careful about doing that. I wonder how many times as a parent, you, you've probably said that to your son or daughter. Um, God doesn't do that. He is a, a wiser parent than we are. He doesn't judge us or find fault with us as he answers our plea for wisdom. But notice how important it is as, 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 as the, this uh, segment ends, how important it is how we ask God. We need to ask God for wisdom from a, from a position of faith. Okay. So all of us have had moments of doubt. I don't think James is talking about doubt just in the abstract. He's talking about kind of a man or woman who, who kind of uses God as a, as a, as a vending machine, as, who, who sees kind of our relationship with God as transactional, right? God, if you do this and that for me, then I'll do this and that. So James is saying in verse 6 through 8, we must be all in in seeking God's wisdom we don't have the kind of a, a, a backup plan. Uh, you know, kind of the idea of having uh, someone who does the splits, who has one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. Uh, you know, if you wind up riding a roller coaster like that, you don't stay in very long, right? Sam Albury talks about it this way. He says, James's point is clear. We need to be sincere about receiving God's wisdom as he is about giving it to us. So when he says faith and don't doubt, he is saying you're all in on God's wisdom and that you're not uh, just kind of using God as kind of of another way to look at things. So perhaps a prayer that we should pray is God, give me wisdom to see you at work in this trial. Use this difficulty to shape me to be more more like Jesus. Stretch my faith. Show me the heart idols that I need to repent of. As I go through this, implant, implant supernatural joy that can only come from your Holy Spirit. Amen. So these verses, of course, are only true. These verses are only helpful if Jesus has really lived among us, suffered and died for us. That's why James can talk about suffering. And talk about counting all joy because Jesus went through trials too, didn't he? He went through the trials of just living life. Uh, he, went, he went through the trials of giving up heaven's riches uh, to put on our flesh and to dwell among us. Of course, he went through the trials of, 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 of being rejected by his family, being rejected by uh, the leaders of, of those days. And then, of course, the horrible trial of being uh, crucified and, and being... Killed for sins he didn't commit. See, that's what James James is telling us. When he's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying that Jesus' suffering is the reason why we can suffer. And know that God has not given up on us. Because God has sent his son to suffer for us. And our suffering, too, matters to him. God himself has gone through the trials in the person of Jesus. Jesus do you believe that? Because if you do, then your suffering matters. Your suffering is not a a, a curse, but a blessing. Our suffering matters to God because we matter to him. He sent his son to live and die in our place. And that's what makes life worth the living. May that be our message. As we go through the book of James, keep that in mind. That these verses only matter if Jesus really did live and die for people like us. Let's pray as we come to the Lord's table. Father, we pray for wisdom. We pray for an eternal perspective. Lord, we pray that you would help us to reject the worldliness of how we see things. Lord, we don't want to avoid, We, we don't want to embrace trials. We don't want them to we don't want to run into them, but Lord, when they come, help us, Lord, to count them joy. Show us, Lord, your grace and mercy. Lord, show us how you're shaping us to be more like Christ. Show us, Lord our sin, and most of all, show us our Savior. And may He be the reason for our living. We ask all this in His name. Amen. Thank you. as you continue our worship, we will be gone. And moved.